35th District Representative Conversations continue now with Representative Travis Couture. Travis, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. This is a, kind of an exciting time as the end of the legislation session, legislative session is is on the horizon. We're starting to see it. And so now we've talked about the bills that we would love to see move from House to Senate, Senate to House, and perhaps get signed. Uh, but now is to an opportunity to think about how best to spend the dollars of the state. I was talking to Representative Griffey yesterday, and we talked about a $3 billion surplus in the supplemental budget, and the House Democrats had put out their uh, ideas and thoughts on what they would like to spend it on, focus on. What are your thoughts on that? And I saw that, too, the House Republicans yesterday put out a, a release to the media saying, listen, let's get a little more strategic in these. Let's start with that. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, exactly. The uh, the House um, chair, the chair of the House Appropriations Committee and then the Senate chair of the Ways and Means Committee both released their proposed budget. And then we heard those the other day. Um, and the Senate uh, version is actually a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> it spends a little bit less and it's a little bit more calculated. Um, but one of the problems about budgeting in Olympia here is, especially since I've been here and then just observing since before I was here, is that um, there's like a lack of prioritization. Uh, so at, if you're budgeting at home, you know, you start with your bills and you, the essentials, you know, you got to buy food and then you go buy your extras if you have sure. money left over. But yeah. Well, what happens here is is you try to spread the peanut butter really thin over the toast, right? And um, and, and you try to make the budget a little bit for everybody, but you're basically not fully funding anything either. And so, um, finding out what are your budget priorities is 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 really the key to good budgeting in Olympia. And with that big surplus that you mentioned, I mean, basically in the house, you just plan to spend all of it. Right. Sure. Um, and it, it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow because there's a lot of people at home who are, you know, um, getting hurt economically right now, whether it's high gas prices at the pump or at the grocery store. Uh, a lot of people's property taxes went up, you know, because of how assessed values work and everything else. And a lot of this tied to the inflation we see around our country. Um, but here again, I mean, just the last forecast, uh, we had over a little over $300 million more revenue than the state actually expected. Right. And again, just they're planning to spend all of it. And it's, and it's a lot of the times you start looking at the different line items, what we're spending money on. And a lot of people would say, well, why are we spending money on that um, before we're fully funding things like special ed or, you know, whatever else our constitutional duties. Yeah. And, and so, so, okay. Yeah. I was, well, I was wondering too, is are these, is this actual dollars that is in, I mean, I, I know that it's probably not in a bank account somewhere, but are the, is this cash on hand or is this projected money based on where we are economically right now? Yeah. So in Olympia, you, you look over a four-year outlook, right? So you budget on, on a four-year basis and uh, a lot of that four-year outlook is based upon expected revenue, right? And then you dial it in for this biennium, this two-year period. And so um, right now, as, as you said, supplemental budget, you're looking at funding what you did in the long session last year, 
plus maintenance level spending. So did we calculate it right? And so there was like another billion dollars or whatever that we had to make up um, in maintenance level spending. And, and so, but again, every time you start a new program or someone drops a bill that spends new money, you got to add that to the budget as well. Mm -hmm. And so some people get their hearts broken about this time of year <laughs> because they had this great policy idea, but there's no way to pay for it. Sure. And so, um, yeah, it's, this is going to be the time of the year when people get their hearts broken a little bit, but at the same time, you mentioned the house Republicans are, uh, you know, I'm in the budget committee. I'm the assistant ranking member on appropriations and we're crafting our own uh, framework for what uh, the budget would look like had we been in charge. Um, and that's, I can't unveil too much about that yet, um, but it's it's going to be great. I mean, it's it's going to really juxtapose uh, to what you've seen proposed by the the Democrats in the House and the Senate. Um, really focusing on what people have been asking for for a long time, and to really give true relief in a hard economic time. So, if we have that um, surplus. Um, and we're not, you know, spending it may not be the best opportunity. What what are the other fiscal options that the state has? Is it just put it in a CD for two years and get some interest? Or is it try to give it back to the citizens of Washington or, uh, you know, um, cut it against property taxes or sales taxes? Or, or what are some of the alternatives that you can think of there? Well, yeah. So uh, three basic options. One, of course, you can spend it on new things um, or a part of spending it, maybe not on new things, but on old things that you underfunded before. Um, so that's option number one. Option number two is you can, you've probably heard this before, you can put it in the rainy day account, yeah. right? So basically there's an emergency fund. It's constitutionally, we have to put 1% into it every, every time we do a budget, uh, but you can put more in there. And then there is a quote unquote kind of shadow rainy day account called Warpta. And, and that is the Democrats created rainy day account, but it's not actually constitutionally protected for emergencies. So it's basically another general fund. <laughs> and uh, um, I have some consternation about that one. But then option number three, um, which is the option I like the best, is that if you've if the state has collected more money than it thought it should or that it needed to, then it should start giving some kind of tax relief. And uh, Jeff, we just did our telephone town hall last night. Oh, yeah. And, and Rep Griffey. And we had an enormous amount of people call in. I think last year we were like, I don't know, five, six hundred people called in, which is a good amount of people. But this year we had over three thousand people call. In. Wow last night and we were struggling to try to get through as many questions as we could um and on and what was interesting is we could do some live surveys of those people in our district and of course anyone can call in um but uh one of the things that we asked is you know what issues are important to you right now and uh more specifically, you know, what what thing kind of animates you. And 21% of people in the 35th district said that property tax relief, and that was number the, the th number three issue, property tax relief was one of the biggest issues in our district. And I'll just maybe highlight while I'm at it. 
Um, public safety was the top issue at 36%. And then coming in at number, and number two was the property tax, sorry, property tax relief at 21%. And then number three was affordability. Um, the afford the cost of living affordability in our state at 13%. And then schools came in right after that. And so, uh, and as it turns out, you know, 95% of our constituents agree that we should not be banning natural gas, 95%. <laughs> and, and so when you're really looking at the, that data, that kind of survey, what you're seeing is people are hurting in their wallets, they're hurting at the kitchen table, prices are too high, um, the economy is hurting them, but also they want to feel safe where they live. And a lot of people don't right now. So would you say, and you know, the 35th is such a unique uh, district. It, it, it spreads, um, you know, three counties, uh, a naval shipyard, close to where a lot of folks who work at the Capitol may live. Do you see this as a microcosm of the whole state with those numbers? I think so. I mean, when you, when you look at the polling and the data for the whole state, public safety is number one right now. Yeah. And kind of closely related to that is, is our homelessness problem. We have the fourth highest rate of homelessness in the, in the nation. Um, and that correlates directly with our housing crisis where we have the fourth highest cost of housing in the nation. Well, I was going to, I was just going to bring up uh, Senator Patton's bill, the house housing committee approved Senator Mike Patton's bill to allow some three-story condominium buildings with no more than 12 units to avoid the regulations used for larger projects. Do you think that's a good um, uh, way to start working into this? I, I can see plenty of opportunities in Mason County that uh, 12 unit condos could really make a, a an impact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, what we and what that really drives at is housing supply. Yeah. Right. You need you need to have spaces for people to go. And I worry because Mason County, for example, has like the fifth highest shortage of affordable housing in our state. I mean, we're at the very top of a list we don't want to be at the top of. And there's a lot of things that go into that growth management act, buildable lands, UGAs, uh, you know, regulations on housing, whatever it may be. Um, but when 24 to 25% of the cost of building a home or any housing whatsoever, whatever that housing is, is regulations, it just shoves developers, they want to go somewhere else. They don't want to develop the housing here uh, because of that. And then the timelines it takes. So I worry that, you know, I have a kid that's turning 18 soon. Will he be able to live here? The answer is unlikely, right? right? It's unlikely uh, we're robbing our kids of the of, of being able to find a, a place to rent where they can survive without mom and dad helping. And then we're also robbing people a little bit older than that of the dream of uh, uh, home ownership, right? And people need a place to go. And so, you know, our talent that we develop here, our kids, whatever, um, they're going to have to go somewhere else. And that breaks my heart. And we have to be able to get more housing. So there's a bad bill that went through the house at the last second before cutoff, and that was rent control. Now, rent control is a false promise. The only thing it will do is spread around scarcity even thinner. And it's bad economics. It doesn't work anywhere it's been tried. Anywhere they do try it, like in New York, it's an absolute failure. And what the bill says is that they cap rents at 7% increase annually. 
And they said, well, we just need predictability in rents. Well, congratulations, you got predictability. It will predictably rise 7% every single year. And I'll tell you in the town hall last night, one of the top questions and the top concerns was rent control because we have so many uh, senior citizens or retirees who have um, these properties that they rent out as part of their retirement portfolio, their, their retirement income. And especially during COVID with the tenant and eviction laws and also uh, mandates and everything else that came down, people are just moving when they're like, I won't rent again. And if they won't rent again, then that's one less place for someone to live, you know? And so we're already starting to see it. And I'm, and I'm afraid, I'm afraid that if this bill passes, uh, it is going to devastate our rental uh, market. It's going to harm our housing supply. It's going to make it harder to build more housing. You know, you bring up a good point with the youth there. And I know the schools are working very hard to try to, you know, keep kids in the communities, showing them that there is an opportunity, uh, life after high school, college here in Mason County, apprenticeships, all that stuff. But yeah, if you can't find a place to live, um, there's, that does, it doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense. Right. Yeah. The other thing, as I was listening to you talk about the, the seniors in that property and rent control set situation. Um, I may be wrong here, but would they potentially see it on both ends too, if they lived in an assisted living facility, kind of like an apartment, plus they use their old home as a rental. So if the assisted living, would they also have the ability to raise those rents 7% every year? So you kind of see what I'm saying there? Yeah, uh, this this doesn't really exempt any any specific group, right? This yeah. bill, and yeah. so it, it'll apply across the board. And so, you know, really, it's kind of Seattle politicians making Seattle kind of rules for communities that are not Seattle or not even close to it, right? And so we have our folks in Christmas Village who I went to talk to. It's a uh, I think sixty or sixty five and over community. And they own their homes, but the property the home sits on is owned by a, you know, an, a, a landowner. And the the landowner that was there is selling to another one, and and so they're rightfully afraid that the new person coming in will raise the, the the rents, basically raise the rates, and and kind of force them out of their homes. And and that's a problem we have in a lot of our manufactured and mobile home uh, areas, right across the state. The laws are not very good there. Um, and we had bills that would have um, solved the same problem that rent control was trying to solve, except for doing it without hurting people. Uh, for instance, I, I co-sponsored a bill that would have said um, if uh, it, an incentive to keep rents low, to keep costs low, you will give a property tax incentive to the landowner, to the property owner, if they keep the rent low right? That way everyone wins. The property owner is getting tax relief, which we should already be giving with our budget surplus anyway. And it's what everyone wants. Plus they're doing it in in, uh, in relation to keeping the rent low so that people can still live there. That's the solution that helps everybody. Um, but rent control is a solution that will hurt people long-term like our seniors and, and they mentioned it. Well, what does rent control do for us in this meeting? And I said, that's the false promise. If if rent control happens, 
Later on, your rents will continue to rise anyway, and you will be locked in, right? there, Or no one will come in and buy the property or they'll sell it and then nobody will have a place to live, right? And, and so... And I think that group generally agreed that, yeah, no, we don't want to go down that path, right? And so I'm really proud of my constituents are pretty smart. <laughs> you know, they 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 understand, you know, uh, when they're getting a raw deal or not. And usually if it's coming out of Olympia, they're getting a raw deal. Oh, so. man. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. When are we going to see that House Republican uh, budget proposal come out? This week, next week, something like that? This week. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get a chance to digest it then, and uh, we'll talk about it next week when we're on together. How does that sound? Sounds good. Thirty fifth District Representative Travis Couture here this morning, and good morning to you. Thank you so much, Travis. Thanks, Jeff. See ya. Bye.